You are listening to the Dr. Michelle Corral Show. It is our prayer that as you listen to these podcasts, that you will receive your deliverance, breakthrough, anointing, and highest destiny. Our prayer is that your love for Jesus Christ be first in your life above all things. Now, here's Dr. Corral. wonderful plan of Esther and I really don't know tonight if we will reveal that whole plan it's up to the Holy Spirit but I do know tonight that we're going to share what's leading up to that plan and I want us to look at that plan leading up to the plan for the sake of those that have not been here over the past few weeks this has been a seminar and a time that we have come together to study the Megillah Esther, which is the book of Esther. Because why? We are coming into a time very close to Purim, one of the greatest biblical feasts. And Purim celebrates the great deliverance of the Jewish people through the hand of one of the greatest women that ever lived on this planet. And her name was Queen Esther. All right. We shared last week when we came together that Esther is actually revealed, the destiny of Esther and the, the power of destiny is revealed in the book of Esther in the three names of Esther. We have the name Hadassah, which is her name that the scripture uses only one time, and that one time Hadassah is used is when the scripture is referring to her as an orphan. And we saw how the sufferings in our lives as children and what we've been through throughout our lives, that every component in our life contributes to our destiny, that nothing in our life has been wasted. There may be some of us here tonight that say, um, was everything in my life, I, there may be some things in your life that you're ashamed of or some things in your life that you have still so much pain feeling of pain inside or things that you think that you don't understand why God allowed it to happen. You may say, God, why did you allow me to be raised by um, a stepfather that was cruel? Or you may say, Father God, why did you allow me to be abandoned by my mother? Or you may be saying, Lord, why did you allow me to not know mother or father? Or go through the things that I went through as a child. And we saw last week when we studied Hadassah that her name was used only when she was an orphan and that actually contributed to her destiny. So everything in her life concerning her names contribute to her destiny. We also saw the name Esther, which is the name, the generic name that the scripture uses for Esther. And that generic name, I don't want to call it generic, but it's the general name that is used um, when the scripture is referring to Queen Esther, just Esther without the word queen. And then we saw how when the scripture uses Esther the queen, that Esther the queen is a title that scripture gives her only in certain junctures in the text, certain places that are key places within the text, that show us every single time Esther the Queen is used, that it is in direct reference to her highest destiny, 
the reason she was born, and that was to bring down and to destroy Amalek. Today, when we speak to you about the supernatural secret of your highest destiny and the anointing and how the anointing brings us into that supernatural secret of, of our highest destiny, God wants us to know, and the scripture has taught us that really you are God's masterpiece. Would you say this with me? I am God's masterpiece. Okay, in case there's someone here that doesn't know what a masterpiece is, let me explain it. A masterpiece is a work of outstanding artistry. Okay, a masterpiece um, is usually referred to as a work of art that demonstrates skill and workmanship. All right, I want you to know that every single one of you were fearfully and wonderfully made and that your life is a masterpiece, that the real destiny that God has for you is going to show you a master plan like a masterpiece that he has prepared. Ephesians chapter 2 tells us this very clearly. In Ephesians 2 verse 10, the Bible says we are his workmanship. That word workmanship is likened unto the word masterpiece. We are his masterpiece. We are his workmanship. Created in Christ unto good works. So raise your hand right now and say, Father God, I am your masterpiece. Hallelujah. And say this with me. Father, I give you praise that tonight your outstanding artistry will form every portion of my destiny that everything that I've ever been through in my life will ultimately lead to the reason why I was put here on this earth. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. Each of us, dear people of God, were born with a purpose, and we need to understand that that purpose needs to be accomplished. There is a difference between just our destiny and our highest destiny. Our highest destiny is the reason why we were actually born. The re the, our destiny is the purpose for which we were put on this earth. So we can be involved in many good things. We can be involved in great ministry. We can be involved in doing wonderful things for God. But that may not necessarily be the reason why we were put on this earth. Every one of us need to discover within our own destiny, why was I put on this earth? What is it that God wants me to do and accomplish? Not just in terms of ministry, but why were you put here? There is a reason why you were put here. There is an hour for that reason to, to come to pass in your life. Every person has a time that God is going to open the door for you to be able to accomplish why you have been put on this earth. And when we study the book of Esther, when we see what Mordecai said to her, who knoweth whether thou art coming to the kingdom for such a time as this? The kingdom is not necessarily only a king with his subjects. That word kingdom in Hebrew 
or that word kingdom in the concept of the Hebrew, Hebrew concept means much more than a king with his subjects. That word kingdom is always alluded to uh, not just a king and his subjects, but it is alluded to kingship. And kingship in the context of Hebrit really means that one reaches one's highest purpose for what one has been created for. So there can be some of us that go through our life that never really know what is the highest purpose of that I have been created for. Okay, and when we look at the book of Esther, we are going to see the highest purpose of her life was not being queen. That being queen was only a platform to get to her highest purpose. And there are some of us that when we get to a certain level of success or we get to a certain level of accomplishment within ourselves, that we think that that accomplishment has been our destiny. When we really, in reality, the book of Esther challenges us to know what am I here on earth for? What did God call me to do? What is the, my highest purpose on earth? And the tools that are around our lives are literally platforms to get us to that highest purpose. So we want to know the purpose and we want to know the timing of that, of when that purpose is going to be given, all right? This is why the Bible says in Psalm 138, if we can look at it for a moment in verse 8, the Bible says, the Lord will perfect that which concerneth me. That word perfect, when we translate it and we understand it, it doesn't just mean perfect in the sense of perfection, but it means the Lord will complete that which concerneth me. God wants you to know he is the author and the finisher of your faith. He is the author and the finisher of your destiny. You are God's masterpiece, and he wants to finish the work that he has begun in your life. Psalm 139, verse 16 tells us in the scripture, the Bible says, the Bible says, your eyes did see my substance being yet imperfect, and in your book all my members were written. So we see that God's divine design of destiny was already chosen for you before you were born. Now it is up to us in that intimate walk with the Holy Spirit to discover why am I here on earth? What is my highest mission on earth? What, what around me right now in my life is actually assisting me? What is being used as the platform to assist me to get to my highest destiny? And when we see Esther, as we said a moment ago, being queen was not in any way her highest destiny. It was only a platform. It was only a door of influence. It was only something that was very necessary for her to accomplish why she was born. She was born to destroy Amalek. And being queen happened to be the tool that God used to destroy Amalek. Say this with me, everything I need for my destiny, God is going to open, no matter how great or how small, whatever I need is going to be provided. Whether you need a platform, whether you need finances, whether 
individuals, whatever it is that you need for your destiny, God is going to provide it. Witness somewhere. Hallelujah. All right, beloved. I want us to see here now how destiny works also when we're looking at the book of Esther because we see that Esther did not become queen until the seventh year of the reign of King Ahasuerus. Ahas I want to say it in Hebrew. I'm trying to say it in English. So I'll just say it in Hebrew. Okay. King Ahasuerus. Because I, I almost forget about King Ahasuerus. Okay. So King Ahasuerus, um, we need to see that King Ahasuerus, before four years after the third year of his reign, so in the seventh year of his reign, Esther became queen. And there are events that led up to Esther being queen that the scripture wants us to see because scripture wants us to understand how divine providence arranges everything in our life to get to the point that we are going to get to, to reach our highest destiny. God works with us. It is not you trying to get to your destiny. It is not what you have done to get to your destiny. It is God who has designed your destiny and has used everything in your life, even your childhood, to be part of that destiny. Everything you've ever been through in your life, every suffering, every cross, every tribulation, every joy, every accomplishment, every friend, every experience you have ever had has something to do with where God has going to put you and where God is going to lead you in your destiny. All right. So in the book of Esther, we see nine years, nine years before Esther actually accomplished her highest destiny. She was taken to the king's palace in the seventh year of his reign. She became queen. But Haman did not cast her until the twelfth year of his reign. So we understand that we have uh, 12 years. We have the twelfth year we have her taken. Five years later, her destiny comes to pass. Okay, and it's only one year that really she accomplishes her highest purpose. And after she accomplishes what she was put on the earth to do, we don't hear any more about Esther. We don't, have, we don't get any more volumes about Esther. We don't get volume two. We don't get an ongoing saga of Esther's life. No, we only get the isolated, miraculous moment with destiny in the reason why she was created. And this is to show us that every person has a miraculous moment with destiny that God wants to bring into your life, that you will be able to accomplish what you were born for. Put your hand up right now and say this with me. Father, I know tonight through the power of the Holy Spirit, I will accomplish what I was born to do. And I give you praise that everything in my life contributes to that highest purpose. Just as the three names of Esther contributed to her destiny and 
were stepping stones into that destiny. Father, we pray tonight in Jesus' name that we too will accomplish it. I want to just go over what we shared last week just for the sake of those so that we can get to tonight's message. But I want us to see something extremely important found in Esther chapter 2. And I want us to look at it when the scripture introduces Esther to us for the first time. Esther chapter 2 verse 7. Let us look at it just for a moment. The Bible says, and he brought up Hadassah, that is Esther, his uncle's daughter, for she had neither father nor mother, and the maid was fair and beautiful, whom Mordecai, when her father and mother were dead, took her to be his own daughter. We noticed last week that twice the scripture is telling us that her father and mother were dead. This is done on purpose. This is not a repeat. This is done on purpose so that we might know that the hidden hand of God allows things in our life that contribute to our destiny, okay? It was very important that Esther be raised not by her mother and not by her father. It contributed to her destiny, okay? And it was very important that an auntie didn't raise her. It was very important that a grandma didn't raise her. God had ordained for Mordecai to raise her. And why did God ordain for Mordecai to raise her? The Bible says here, if you look at the text, look at verse, uh, chapter 2, verse 7, it says he brought up Hadassah. What does that mean when the Bible says he brought up Hadassah? It doesn't just mean he raised Hadassah. It means he lifted the level of her values in life. He lifted the level of who she was as Hadassah by the teaching of God's word that he constantly poured into her. Because Mordecai was the chief rabbi, so to speak, even though they didn't have rabbis in those days, he would have been referred to in modern times as the chief rabbi of Shushan. Okay, so he taught Esther on a constant basis Torah values. He taught her uh, integrity. He taught her honor. He taught her moral conscience. He is the one who formed her moral conscience. And it had to be formed by him because of what her destiny was going to be. Her destiny was going to save her people from genocide. So she had to have a conscience for what she was going to be asked to do. Can I get a witness somewhere? Okay, so it couldn't have been anybody else. Touch your neighbor and say, the way that I was raised contributes to my destiny. Say this with me, everything in my life, God has turned for Tove. Say this with me, everything in my life has worked for Tove. Let me explain this, how the text actually inverts that concept of Tov when we look at Queen Esther. In Esther chapter 2, verse 7, looking at the same verse again, the Bible says the maid was fair and beautiful. All right, what does that mean? A fair and beautiful does not just refer to her exterior looks. If we take the verse apart in the Hebrew language. It doesn't say she's fair and beautiful. It says she's beautiful and tov. What does tov mean? 
Tov means good. So this means that everything that God uh, caused to happen in her life or allowed to happen in her life was being used for Tov. So that means even the death of her mother and father and even the fact that she was raised by Mordecai and not by a relative that was closer, by her own cousin, by the fact that she wasn't raised by grandma or an auntie, the fact that Mordecai raised her, it was all for Tov because the Bible says all things work together for Tov to those who love God and are the called according to his purpose. Say this with me. I want everything in my life to work together for Tove. It's all working together. Tove means everything is working toward a purpose. Everything is contributing toward a purpose. So even your darkest days contribute toward a purpose. Even the days that you couldn't even think how you were going to go on. There is a purpose behind it. Everything in your life is contributing to your highest destiny and purpose. Can I get a witness somewhere? Okay, so it's extremely important. So we see that significant name Hadassah only used once when she's an orphan and the scripture deliberately does not use it again. It only uses it once because she's no longer stuck in those orphan realities, okay? She was, she was orphaned, but she doesn't stay an orphan. And she doesn't have an orphan's mentality, okay? She becomes Esther, okay? And when he brings her up through the Torah values, through the teaching of God's word, through the principles, she no longer has the issues of an orphan. She has an inward uh, medot character traits that are going to make her a future queen. Can I get a witness somewhere? Okay, say this with me. God is forming me for the reason I was born. And during this parim, God is going to reveal to me the secret of why I was born and going to give me the revelation of my highest destiny. Can we get a witness somewhere? Okay, so that we understand that concept. All right. So the highest destiny of Esther was not to be queen, but the highest destiny was to destroy Haman, the Agagite, the enemy of the Jews. And we understand, as we said a moment ago, that the platform, that queen was only a platform for that purpose to be accomplished. All right. We need to look, um, dear people of God, at how that purpose was actually accomplished. And we are going to see that the scripture is going to show us the important role of the anointing in the life of Esther that contributed to what her destiny was all about. Now, what we're going to share with you about the anointing today is not just a generalized anointing. We are going to speak to you about the type of anointing that brings you into the place for what you were created for. 
please understand there's various types of anointings. Okay, every Christian has been given a deposit of the anointing when you receive Christ as your Savior. The anointing is not just something that God gives to a chosen few. Okay, the anointing is given to every believer. The Bible says, but the anointing you have received of him abides in you, and you need not that any man teach you. That same anointing that abideth in you shall teach you all things, and it is a truth and no lie. Even as it has taught you, you shall abide in him. The Bible says in 1 John chapter 2, verse 20, but you have an unction. That word unction in the Greek language translates to the word anointing. But you have an anointing from the Holy One, and you know all things. So please understand, every Christian has been given a deposit of the anointing when you become born again. Why? Because the anointed one lives in you. Jesus Christ is the anointed Messiah. And when you receive him, you receive the anointing because everything about his identity is the anointing. Can I get a witness somewhere? Okay, so we need to understand that concept. However, there are levels of the anointing. And we see the contrast of the anointing that is available to everyone that everyone has received and we can see a specialized anointing the specialized anointing which we call in the scriptures the shemen hakadosh okay the oil that was different in nature and different in substance than just pure olive oil the scripture in Exodus chapter 27 divides the oils in two. At the beginning of Exodus 27 verse 20, we have pure olive oil that was given, that was the responsibility for every person in the camp of Israel to bring an offering to Moses on a daily basis of pure olive oil to burn for the light. Okay, that pure olive oil and that, that call to the entire nation of Israel represents the available anointing that is for every Christian. But then there is, in Exodus 30, in the same unit, say, say it with me, same unit. same unit. In the same unit, in the same section, we have, because we divide the scriptures by units, and we can see in the same unit in Exodus chapter 30, we see that there is another type of oil. And that other type of oil is nothing like just the olive oil. The olive oil was pure. It had nothing in it. And that represents the general anointing that every Christian receives when you receive Christ as your Savior. But then there is another type of anointing that will take you to the highest stratosphere of God's purpose in your life. And that is prophetically paralleled with the anointing that goes on kings and the anointing that goes on all the holy things that are in the tabernacle of God. And that anointing oil that was used specifically for the high priest of Israel. Anything it touched became separated unto God. Say this with me. I want that 
kind of anointing. The scripture begins its, its uh, demonstration of Hadassah's destiny when she becomes Esther begins this uh, explanation of how she became queen and how she was able to, to slay Haman and how she was able to accomplish God's will in her life through the anointing. The anointing is the preface to her platform. Say this with me. The anointing is the preface to my platform. God has called me to the anointing. You see, if you are going to have a destiny, you cannot reach the stratosphere of anointing that God wants to give you or the stratosphere of purpose that God wants to give you, which is the reason you were born. The reason you were born is your highest purpose. Okay, you cannot reach that without the anointing. Put your hands up right now and say, Holy Spirit, I want that anointing. And this is why in a hermeneutical sense, we see before Esther begins coming Queen Esther, who is going to vanquish the powers of Amalek, we meet her through the anointing. I want to share with you, this scripture that we're about to share with you on the anointing is actually the haftarah that is used on Purim. When you say, what haftarah, okay? What I'm about to share with you from the book of Esther, on Purim, there is a, um, the, the haftarah that, or the matching text we have in every scripture in Torah, we have through the prophets or the writings, the half Torah. And the half Torah of Exodus 30 is Esther 2. Okay, and at, when uh, Purim comes and Esther 2 is read, because one of the prerequisites of Purim is to read the entire Megillah. And so when it is read, along with Esther 2, it is customary to always read Exodus 30. Why? Because there's a relationship between Esther 2 with the anointing oil that she was saturated in for 12 months and the anointing oil that God gave to Moses to anoint the kings of Israel with. We see that there is a common unity between both. And the scripture does not want us to view the oil that Esther was um, immersed in for 12 months as a cosmetic um, procedure. The scripture wants us to see it, that she was being drenched in destiny for her future through the anointing. Can I get a witness somewhere? So let's look at this really quick. We're not going to go into the details because we've already spent some time on this a few weeks ago. But let's just look at it for the sake of identification. Esther chapter 2 verse 12 says, Now when every maid's turn was come to go in to King Ahasuerus, after that she had been 12 months according to the manner of women, for so were the days of their purifications accomplished. To wit, six months with oil of myrrh, and six months with sweet odors. That is a mistranslation. It doesn't read sweet odors here. It reads sweet spices, which is different than sweet 
odors. Okay, sweet spices is an exact, um, an exact explicit expression of what is used in Exodus chapter 30. Because Exodus chapter 30, let's look at it just really quickly. Exodus 30, verse 23. And the Bible says, take unto you principal spices of pure myrrh, 500 shekels, and of sweet cinnamon, half so much. But notice it says principal spices. Okay, the Bible tells us she was six months in myrrh. Do you see myrrh in Exodus 30? And do you see spices in Exodus 30? And do you see sweet in Exodus 30? You see three words that perfectly match, which tell us there's an interrelationship between the holy anointing oil that was going to be put on the kings of Israel and the oil that the scripture is telling us that Esther um, was saturating in for a year. So it says, take unto you principal spices of pure myrrh, 500 shekels, and of sweet cinnamon, half so much, even 250 shekels, and of sweet calamus, 250 shekels, and of cassia, 500 shekels, after the shekel of the sanctuary. So we see, if we go back to Esther 2, we see that Esther was immersed in the anointing, and the scripture wants us to see that this is the preface before she was chosen queen. This is the preface to her destiny. And the scripture is teaching us that the preface to our destiny is the anointing. That if we want to reach the highest position of power that God has ordained for our life, and we want to reach the, the reason why we were created, then we are going to need the anointing the same way Esther did. Can I get a witness somewhere? So let's see some of the fruits and evidences of the anointing in Esther's life. The first fruit and evidence that we're going to see, obviously we see hesed. We see favor, that she carried an unusual weight of favor with everybody she met and with all who looked upon her. This favor did not come from her. This favor came from the anointing. How do we know? Because it follows systematically in the text. After the text tells us she was anointed, then the scripture tells us that she required nothing. And the Bible says Esther obtained favor, chapter 15, last line, of all who looked upon her. And in verse 17, and the king loved Esther above all the women, and she obtained grace and favor in his sight more than all the virgins. So he put the royal crown upon her head and made her queen instead of Ashti. So the scripture is alluding to favor, which came from the anointing. All right. All of these are tools for her to accomplish her purpose. Say this with me. Every tool I need is in the anointing and everything I need will be given to me to accomplish my highest destiny. So let's look now. This is just a, pretty much a preface but let's look now for one moment at what the anointing does in our life and we're going to see the first supernatural secret of the anointing 
that we find here in the book of Esther is the, um, the power to sacrifice oneself. Say this with me. Father God, I ask you to stir up the self-sacrificing properties in the anointing. Okay? We're going to see that there are in the anointing self-sacrificing properties. Now, I want to explain something about properties. Okay? Whenever you, there is a chemical, there is always in a chemical compound properties in that chemical compound. And if you add another chemical to that compound, there is what is called a chemical reaction. A chemical reaction changes the very substance of that, that entity that, that you have just had. So in other words, if I have a chemical compound and I add um, another chemical to it, I've changed the very nature of that chemical by a chemical reaction. Okay, the same thing with the anointing. Okay, you have olive oil and you have pure olive oil. But when you add the ingredients that the Bible is speaking about, which are not literal ingredients, even though that's what they did in biblical times, they represent properties. Because just as you change a chemical and there, through a chemical reaction and it becomes a changed substance, even so, when there are certain entities added to the anointing, to the highest type of anointing, then we need to know there are properties in that anointing. And God wants you to know that in the anointing for your highest destiny, there is a property of self-sacrificing. You can sacrifice yourself for the kingdom, but it will not be you. It is a power property in the anointing. It doesn't come from you. It comes from God. And this is why so many Christians fall out. They fall out because they don't understand, not them. They fall out because they don't have the anointing. Because the anointing is what gives us the power to sacrifice ourselves. And I will prove that to you from the scripture. And we're just going to look at that really quickly. Okay, so there is self-sacrificing properties in the anointing. Say it. Okay, let's, let's begin with John chapter 12 so we can understand this concept. John chapter 12, and let's look at verse 3. Okay, John chapter 12, going to the anointing at Bethany. And we're going to see that the passion of our Lord begins with the anointing, and the passion of our Lord ends with the anointing. But we're going to see John's agenda is to show us the self-sacrificing entities in the anointing, okay? So let us look at John chapter 12, looking at verse 3. The Bible says, And Mary took a pound of ointment of spikenard, very costly, and she anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair, and the house was filled with the odor of that ointment. All right. We also need to see that the other Gospels have all three synoptic gospels have this anointing in it. 
we see in Mark's gospel, Mark, Mark's gospel tells us a tad differently. Okay, in Mark's gospel, in Mark chapter 14, verse 3, I believe, the Bible doesn't tell us Mary anointed his feet. Mark zeroes in on his head. Okay, so we have from the gospel according to Mark, the anointing of Jesus at Bethany with the focus on the head. And then we have the anointing at Bethany in John's gospel with the anointing focused on the feet. So if we put the synoptics together, we will see that the anointing at Bethany was an immersion into the anointing. The question is, why was Jesus anointed at Bethany? Okay, it wasn't just some anointing. This is so important and so imperative that it's in every gospel. And the Bible says wherever this gospel is preached, this memorial of what she did is going to be known. Jesus said, allow her to do so because she has done it against the day of my burial. So we need to understand what's going on here. If we understand who Yeshua really was, and we understand Jesus, who he really is, the Messiah of Israel is the anointed of God. And his entire identity in the Hebrew scriptures is an identity of one who walks in the anointing. His whole identity. The Bible says, but my spirit, my servant, um, in Isaiah 42, shall not strive. My spirit in whom I, my servant in whom I have put my spirit. So we need to understand that the anointed of God is going to be a servant that is identified by the spirit. In Isaiah chapter 11, there are seven attributes of this one who's going to be known as the Messiah. And these seven attributes are seven attributes of the anointing. Okay, the spirit of counsel, the spirit of might, the spirit of power, the spirit of the fear of the Lord, the all the spirit of understanding, the spirit of knowledge, the spirit of wisdom. We need to understand every one of these attributes are attributes of the anointing, seven representing the completeness of the anointing. So when we understand the Messiah, what was his messianic mission? The Bible says in Isaiah 61 that the Messiah will be known by this mission. The spirit of the Lord God is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel, the good news to the, the meek, to bind up the brokenhearted, to set liberty them that are bruised so we understand that the messiah is the only one who ever lived who completely cooperated with the anointing perfectly we must understand in him dwells the fullness of the Godhead in bodily form. But there was no other person that ever lived in the times of the Bible ever that ever cooperated with the anointing or had the power of the anointing like Jesus. And we need to understand that this is an essential an essential component into understanding his person. If we don't understand him as the anointed one, then we don't know him at 
all because he is the anointed of God and everywhere he goes and everything he does, he does through the anointing. Can I get a witness somewhere? That's why the Bible says in Psalm 45, therefore God, thy God has anointed thee with the oil of gladness above thy fellows. The Bible says all thy garments smell of myrrh, cassia, and aloes. We need to understand those are the same ingredients in the kingly properties of the anointing. When Jesus began his ministry, he began his inaugural, his inauguration to ministry was through the anointing. He was inaugurated on the day of his baptism. The moment he stepped into the waters, the Bible says that John bear witness and I knew him not. John never knew who he was. John did not get a fax saying this is Jesus. John did not get a photograph of who he would be. John only knew that the one that sent him to baptize with water, that the one in whom you see, the Spirit of God, descend and remain. This is he who baptizeth with the Holy Ghost. And John said, I knew him not. But when he stepped into the water, the Spirit of God identified him. And this was the inauguration of Jesus' ministry for three years. Three years he was inaugurated into ministry. But this was not his highest destiny. His highest destiny was not to calm the waters of the raging sea. His highest destiny was not to heal the lepers. His highest destiny was not even to raise Lazarus from the dead. His highest destiny was not to raise the widow at Nain's son from the dead or heal the multitudes. His highest destiny was not to multiply the loaves and the fishes. His highest destiny was to go to Calvary. His highest destiny was to die on the cross for you and for me and to be raised from the dead. And as a separation in time so that we would not confuse all the works of Jesus on the same level so that we could never say that healing the sick is on the level of the cross so that we could never say that though he was in his ministry that was his destiny so that we would understand that there is a sacrificing, self-sacrificing property in the anointing that he had to be anointed with before he went to Calvary and Mary was chosen to usher him into that hour. The Bible tells us very clearly throughout the entire Gospel of John that John uses a special literary device and a tool in his gospel to tell us that the time 
when Jesus became anointed to die on the cross was not the same time as when he performed the miracles. John chapter 2, verse 4, Jesus turns to his mother and says, my hour has not yet come. John chapter 7, verse 6, Jesus says to his disciples, my hour has not yet come, but your hour, your time is already. John chapter 7, verse 8, Jesus said, I cannot go to the feast because my time has not yet come. John chapter 8, verse 20, Jesus said, My time, my hour has not yet come. But after the anointing at Bethany, after Jesus was anointed by Mary at Bethany, Jesus proclaimed, My hour has come. And throughout the rest of the Gospel of John, Jesus proclaims in that last week of his life because John closes his gospel from the 12th chapter to the 21st chapter concerning the last seven days of the life of Jesus, which were unlike any other time. That's the reason he came. Why am I sharing all this with you? Because it's just like that. Esther is a prefiguring. Esther is a prefiguring of what the anointing does in our life. How it brings us to our moment. How it brings us to the reason we were born. And if we choose not just the anointing that every Christian has, but if we choose the anointing of kings, that's our destiny. The Bible says in Revelation chapter 1, verses 5 and 6, unto him who has washed us with his blood and made us kings and priests unto our God. You cannot be a king in the Bible without the anointing. You cannot be a priest in the Bible without the anointing. He has given us a share in his messianic anointing. Say this with me, I'm a partaker with Christ in his messianic mission. Can I get a witness somewhere? So when we see this anointing and we understand Jesus and we see this so clearly, this is why Jesus said in John chapter 12, after he was anointed in verse 7, the Bible tells us to let Mary alone. Of course, we already know that, but let's look at just for a moment at verse 24. The Bible says, unless... I say unto you, unless a corn of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it abides alone. But if it die, it shall bear much fruit. And the Bible says, he that loveth his life is going to lose it. But he that loses his life for my sake is going to find it. What does all this have to do with Esther? It has everything to do with Esther. 
because losing one's life, Jesus said, after he was anointed, he said, he who loves his life is going to lose it. But he who, that doesn't mean don't love your life and don't take care of yourself. But what that means is if you're trying to prevent yourself from ever sacrificing for anybody. He who loves his life is going to lose it. But he who loses his life for my sake is going to find it. What does this have to do with Esther? It has everything to do with Esther. Because I truly believe that our Lord took the very words of Esther. And he used them in what he was teaching his disciples. If we look at the scripture and we see in Esther chapter 4 what losing one's life is all about, we will see it prophetically prefigured in the words of Esther. She says in Esther 4 verse 16, Go gather the Jews that are present at Shushan and fast for me and neither eat nor drink there three days and three nights, night or day. And I and my maidens will fast likewise. And I will go in unto the king, which is not according to the law. And if I perish, I perish. Now, that word perish is the word avodity. She's saying avodity, avodity. Avodity, literally, um, a lot of the rabbis interpret Avodity, because it's a strange word. It's taken from the root avad. And that word, that root avad, means to perish, but it can also mean to lose oneself. So the actual shot on the verse is that the take on it is that some of the ancient rabbis say they don't understand why, because the verb that is being used here is one that indicates losing something rather than just perishing. So it is interpreted in a Hebrew sense, if I'm lost, I'm lost. But we know the gospel. So definitely losing something is involved, but it's not if I'm lost, I'm lost as if she's going to perish and, and lose her soul. That is not what that's about. That's a misinterpretation. What she's saying is, if I lose myself, I lose myself. And she says it twice. And Jesus took those very words to lose oneself in the, in the context of self-sacrifice because he is uh, speaking of Esther when he said it. When he said, he who loves his life is going to lose it. But he who loses his life for my sake is going to find it. Esther said, a body I have lost myself. If I lose myself, I lose myself. I will do the will of God. Can I get a witness somewhere? So the question is, where did she get the power to lose herself? And the question is, where did she get the power of such incredible obedience? Because we see Esther as a type. Because when you're dealing with demonic spirits like a and you're dealing with demonic spirits like Jezebel 
or you are dealing with demonic principalities and powers like the beast of Revelation chapter 12. The Bible says um, in, in Revelation 12 concerning the dragon, the Bible says they overcame him by the blood of the lamb and the word of their testimony, and they loved not their life unto the death. There is something about the spirit of self-sacrifice that vanquishes the principalities and powers in the demonic realm. There is something about obeying God and giving up ourselves for the will of God that vanquishes the powers of darkness. And if Esther did not obey, if she did not have a struggle with her own will to give her life for her people, then it could not have ever been that she could take Amalek down. But after she made the decision to lose her life, that is when she received the power to take down Amalek. Can I get a witness somewhere? Stand to your feet. Jesus said in Matthew 16, verse 25, whosoever will lose, whosoever shall save his life is going to lose it. But whosoever shall lose his life for my sake is going to find it. Avodity, avodity. Twice losing. If I lose my physical life, let it be. And if I lose everything that I hold dear, being a nobody orphan, to being the queen of Persia, such a huge gap of being one, who was already created with that void in her life. Not having mother or father. Some of you wonder, why didn't I know my mom? Why didn't I know my dad? Some of you wonder, how come my mother treated me like that? Or how come my father treated me like that? There is a natural void that comes when those particular needs in an individual is not met. There is a natural void, a vacuum, that when one as a child does not have that nurtured experience from mother or father, that that individual has that vacuum. God ordained that Esther would have that vacuum that could only be filled by him. So that Esther's entire self would be only fulfilled in God. You see, she had a need for God more than the normal person because she was an orphan because of the vacuum. If you have a vacuum, it is because God wanted you to have a thirst for him. There is something missing in your life. It is not something you did to cause it. It is not because of something that God did to judge you. It is because God ordained it 
so that you might have that vacuum so that he could fill it with himself. Esther had to have it. She had to have that vacuum or she could not have accomplished. She could not have loved God so much because her destiny was to be alone and isolated. Her destiny was to be in that place behind those walls in Shushan in the palace. She had to have an empty vacuum to love God so much that she would be willing to do what he asked her to do. Not just when she went on the day when she went and didn't know if he was going to stretch out the scepter or not. It's the whole plan of Esther. The whole plan God gave her from her fasting that was an absolute, complete risk of being put in the most unbelievable condition that she did of her own free will. Thank you for joining us today. It is our prayer that this word broke bondages and will open doors for you. If you have never received Jesus Christ as the Lord of your life, invite him now to be your Lord and Savior and best friend. Repeat this simple prayer. Lord Jesus, come into my heart and be the Lord of my life. Wash me clean from all my sins. I accept you as my personal Lord and Savior. Amen. Thank you for joining us and we'll see you soon.